0: Welcome to our Fourth Universalist Service video. My name is Reverend Skyler Vogel, I'm the senior minister here at the Fourth Universalist Society, and thank you so much for joining us to watch this video. What follows is selections from our service on May second, twenty twenty one, themed around the message titled "It Could Be Otherwise: An Exploration of Aging and Mortality." In this video, you'll hear the reading and the reflection, and you'll following that you'll uh, join us for a conversation between myself and Ember Kelly, our religious education director, for a lively discussion where we'll go deeper into the service together. We hope you'll check out our video and audio podcast each and every week, posted on our website, on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and your favorite podcast streaming site. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review to like it or comment or share or subscribe to help spread Fourth Universalist Media further. Thank you again for watching. See you here in a minute.
1: morning's reading is by the poet Jane Kenyon, who writes about the gratitude we can feel knowing how different our lives might be. The following poem is entitled, Otherwise. I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. I ate cereal, sweet milk, ripe, flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. I took the dog uphill to the birch wood. All morning, I did the work I love. At noon, I lay down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. We ate dinner together at a table with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. I slept in a bed in a room with paintings on the walls and planned another day, just like this day. But one day, I know, it will be otherwise.
0: All families tell stories about who they are. One of the stories from my family was that we all live a long time. Supporting evidence for this belief included my mom's mom, who lived into her 90s, and my dad's parents, both who lived into their late eighties. The only exception was my maternal grandfather who died young at 72, but he had a unique heart condition and also a love of ice cream, which the story went uh, proved to be an unfortunate combination. For those family members though, who lacked a major health issue and didn't have ice cream every night for their entire life, There was no reason to worry. This story has been formulated to me in imagining my own life. When I think about growing older, I naturally picture living into my 90s. I envision a glorious retirement, having saved and worked, and I become able to travel. I spend a lot of time on warm beaches, swimming in the ocean, or hiking in the woods. In this story, I also look forward to my parents and my many other relatives living for many more years, even though now in their 70s, they still have at least 20 years, long enough for me not to have to worry or think about it all that much. But several weeks ago, this story showed its first sign of cracking. My uncle Walter, my mom's twin had a stroke out of nowhere. He was far from 90, a young 73-year-old who had been active and healthy. He wasn't retired. He still worked at a, as a social worker with at-risk youth. He was the guy who, before COVID, opened the local LA Fitness every morning at 6 a.m. and had all his gym friends that we would hear about. Beyond these specifics, he just had youthful energy. He loved to talk and ask rapid-fire questions all at once, not knowing exactly how to contain his enthusiasm. And in the course of one night, he went from all of those things, to someone who lost the ability to move the right side of his body, and perhaps worse for him, the ability to talk. He went from someone full of life and things to say and questions to ask and youth to help to someone who could hardly function on their own. Later that week, I would learn his younger sister, one of my aunts, also suffered a stroke. This one related to COVID. It was small and more minor, but a pattern was starting to form. And then last Sunday, when my dad and I have our weekly Zoom call He appeared not in his regular place in his apartment, carefully set up with bookshelves and a painting and a globe in the background, but surrounded instead by wires and monitors, lying in a hospital bed wearing a pale green gown. The doctors at that time weren't sure what was wrong yet, but it was obvious that he was in immense pain, far from the normal, healthy, calm, collected dad. I had known my whole life. The good news is that everyone at this point seems to be on the road to recovery. No one's life is in danger. Everyone is for now okay. 90 is still feasible for everyone. But my faith in the story of the invincible health was shaken. It's hard not to imagine that a stroke could kill. That a sudden hospital visit in your seventies could be one's last. How suddenly a life can change. Hard not to think about just how privileged it is to be able to hope for longevity. Of how the world can be so full of life one moment, of new babies like our baby Rowan, and then how one moment it can be so full of decline and aging and signs of death. I think of my uncle, going to bed that night feeling just fine, thinking about his future and all his plans, the walks he would take the next day, all the kids he would see on his rounds, and then waking up three hours later in bed, realizing he was unable to move or call out for help and being confused and afraid how suddenly everything was different. Life, I realize, is not always kind. It comes for us without warning, without regard for our plans or the stories we or our families tell ourselves. I imagined the disappointment and suffering of my uncle and how it felt too soon and unfair. I spoken to people on their deathbed who feel betrayed by their body. Their minds sharp and active, able to do and think as much as they could do 50 years before. Other minds are ready to keep going, but their body just is not. It was quitting on them, even if they felt they could still go on. It was hard not to imagine myself and my uncle or my aunt or my dad that it could happen to me too, and how life can never go as we expect. On an intellectual level, I know how fragile life can be. Most of us can know intellectually how fragile life can be. We even know it at a heart level at times, but it's one thing to know it and another thing to have our fundamental myths challenged and dismantled in front of us. All of us believe stories and tell ourselves story to help us get through the day. All of us have myths that we create, that shield us and protect us from the reality that our bodies are fragile, unpredictable, and that someday, perhaps sooner rather than later, our life will come to an end. These stories assure us that things will be okay, that we are safe and well. Now, our story did this by telling stories of longevity, I imagine that you also have your own stories that your families might tell. Some families emphasize how money or success immunize immunize us from suffering. Others, Others tell us stories about how God is in control and that the end is not really the end. Others admit the possibility of human frailty altogether, out of sight, out of mind. Only a few of us have to face it every single day. It is easier to go the route of out of sight and out of mind, to go through our lives without the assumption that everything is fine, and that we are fine and that those who we love are fine and will always be fine. But that is a privilege that many of us, not all of us are granted. It is a privilege that no one is granted forever. One of the consequences of the pandemic is our collective reckoning with vulnerability. We have seen, if we look carefully, if we allow ourselves the courage to think deeply about how completely a tiny virus can disrupt our entire society, modern though it is, and that no one, no institution or individual, is immune from that change. We have seen how people healthy and strong one day, become incubated the next, and we know deep down if we let ourselves, it could happen to us. It is easy to feel despair or existential anxiety or just grief at facing this fragility. It is deeply uncomfortable to truly feel that we aren't in control, that our bodies are so fragile that they depend on a million things working, and one small thing could stop it. But unless the stories that we tell ourselves are true, those stories will fail us in the end. They will fail us whether we are 73 or 90 or 25, because we are all living in bodies that will age and get sick and die, always in ways we do not expect and do not want. Stories that in those moments will prove inadequate for our understanding and processing when it happens to us if we don't retell them differently. When we recognize our fragility, the gift that we get is being able to write our own stories that really prepare us for those moments. To rewrite them before we get into that hospital bed, before that stroke comes to us in the night, before we spend our life putting off what we really want to do, or look forward to that retirement or that time when you really want your life to begin, get that job you want, meet the love of your life, stories that let us appreciate the here and now, even if we don't have all those things. Facing our fragility is uncomfortable, but ultimately it saves us with its honesty and urgency. After witnessing my family's health struggles, I've been trying to change my story these past few weeks to really sit with this feeling. What would it feel like to not live so long about being more fragile than I thought, about not taking pride in somehow having good genes, a privilege that certainly not everyone has, but how I might live differently now knowing that it could end much sooner. If I had a stroke at 73 and could no longer walk or talk, would I feel that in the words of Mary Oliver, I had embraced my one wild and precious life? Or would I, as Thoreau warned, discover that I had not lived? My hope for all of us is that we tell ourselves stories that are true and brave that embolden us in the face of our vulnerability that empower us now to live the life we truly want. We can remember Psalm 118 from the Hebrew Bible, a dinner prayer that my dad always had us say before we ate. This is the day that we have been given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Friends, our future is uncertain, as is our present. Our bodies are fragile. But now, in this moment, we are here and alive. It could be otherwise. Let us celebrate this time we have. Amen.
2: So, Reverend Schuyler, thanks for sitting down to talk with me about such a a personal and and meaningful sermon. Glad to do it. Thank you, Ember. You know, I think one of the things that first hit me as I, as I thought about questions to ask you about this uh, this message was how important it is to have a healthy understanding of grief. So, so often in our society, like, you know, grief is seen as this thing to avoid, to run from, to be afraid of, um, and we're, we're not really taught how to deal with it. Uh, but you know, to be able to approach the, the traumas of life like grief, it's, a, it's really important to, to understand that.
0: It is, it is. I think you're absolutely right that uh, our society likes to focus on the positive things. Maybe it's an American quality. Uh, it's this idea that, uh, you know, a preacher of inquiry, we need to focus on the positive, stay positive. Weakness is bad. Uh, unpleasantness is bad. Uh, and grief is are all those things? Grief is really hard. Grief is inconvenient. Um, grief disarms us from who we try to be the rest of our lives. Um, it shows that we love people and care about things, and uh, and so it doesn't really fit in that well with our, our society that demands a certain perfectionism everywhere we go. Um, but I but I think that it's really important to feel because it is. It's a very true feeling. And if we don't feel grief for things, I don't know if we can truly love them. And so grief is just a sign of losing something we love. It could be a person, it could be an idea, it could be uh, something else. But uh, if, we, if we don't feel grief, we have to ask ourselves, uh, where is the love that we're feeling for that thing that we've lost?
2: Well, and it's interesting that you name it as, as an American thing to stay positive, because I think that uh, in the last year that a lot of people have done a lot of grieving, uh, well, A, because of the COVID pandemic and the deaths that have resulted, but also B, in, in the sense that people have grieved what they thought uh, America was, that they thought that something this bad couldn't happen here. And a lot of those folks were also previously shaken by Trump. And there was that there was some grieving of, of, of a death of what they thought uh, the country that they were living in meant to them. That's right. America
0: uh, in large part was founded on these myths of optimism on onwards and Upwards Forever, uh, Beacon on a Hill, this idea that America had almost a divine destiny uh, ordained by God to change the world, to be the new Jerusalem. And, uh, and so that optimism was embodied in the, the cultural uh, mythology of, of our country. And so when when we are faced with uh, a decline, a fall, uh, a disaster uh, that threatens that optimism, um, if we don't have the tools for grief, um, or we're not prepared to balance our hopefulness with despair, uh, we're going to be unprepared for those moments when there is nothing to do but lament, when there's nothing to do but look down and, and, and feel sad. Uh, and, uh, and I think it's really important, you know, Americans as whole, well, particularly those with privilege have been very fortunate to be able to live and be raised with a psychology of, uh, of, in some ways, supremacy, not in, not in the sense of like, necessarily white supremacy or something else, supremacy, but just in the sense that like Americans get to believe that like, we're special. Uh, and like, You know, we're not like those other countries in those other places, and this has been shaken um, these last few years. And that's there's grief to that because that's a real organizing mythology that we found our very sense of self, both as a country but also as individuals.
2: Well, and uh, with with the pandemic, I think it really. You know, open opened a lot of eyes also to our treatment of aging and the elderly and the dialogue around that. You know, so many people just kind of being like, these grand, I mean, there was that Texas lieutenant governor, I believe it was, that that said, you know, these grandparents would be willing to die so that their their grandkids can continue life as normal, sort of thing. And I know in in Vietnam when we were there, the uh the decision was made really early to close schools. And part of that reasoning was sure, it looks like the kids won't get COVID badly, but these kids are going to see their grandparents. They're going to see older people. And, you know, we understand that this is an interconnected, you know, the UU interconnected web. And, you know, I think you you touch a lot about aging in, in this uh, message. And uh, America has a, also has <laughs> some issues in and being okay with aging, we're we're always fighting against it. We have to stay young, we have to stay vigorous and energetic, and it, it's a real pro- problem <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, it gets back to
0: that perfectionism and that sense of hopefulness. Is you know, if youthfulness is fits that spirit, right? It's the it's the the you know virile, young, settler going out west, right, to to go make their own way. Uh, it's not the not the old man. You know, confined to his wheelchair in a nursing home, right? That's depressing. That's sad. That's that's an ending rather than a, a shining new beginning. Um, and so it's easy to forget. And you know, people talk about ageism, right? Uh, about how um, you know, folks who are older with more experience and wisdom potentially get overlooked. Um, and aging certainly is a, an issue that we struggle with in this country. Um, it's also a very human issue, and I think that's part of what. Um, you know, in the, in the sermon I try to talk about is this idea that uh, no matter who we are, we we create stories that protect us from our mortality, from those who we love this mortality. Uh, you know, the very, I think the earliest uh, uh, story that we have of human history of Gilgamesh, that whole story is about him trying to figure out how to Live forever. He loses his his best friend, and uh, and he tries to he tries to get immortal because he's so terrified of death. You know, the very first human story is the story of trying to avoid dying, um, and trying to avoid aging and weakness. Um, and uh, so this has been around for a long time, but I think it does have a special a special coloring here in the United States, which whose identity, like I said, was so tied to this idea of of superiority of promise, uh, divinely inspired success. Um, and I think if we have to reconcile with those, those myths and then be able to prepare ourselves for our own inevitable decline, because we can't always be these shiny, happy, optimistic people. We have to be able to reconcile with the fact that we will crumble, you know, dust to dust as, as the Bible says.
2: Right. I did always find, uh, and I, I mentioned it a little bit in, with the discussion with Reverend Paul Nance last week of talking about wisdom literature. I always found Ecclesiastes to be the most interesting uh, book of the, of the Hebrew scriptures because it really grapples with that mortality and with what is the meaning of life. And you and I were talking before we, we started this conversation, and I was talking about how after reading over your, your draft of, of this message, that I found myself motivated to, you know, to carpe diem, to seize the day, to work on some projects that had kind of been sitting off to the side as as I'll get to them in the future, sort of things. Uh, and I, you know, I think that there's often uh, a lot of people embrace a more hedonistic carpe diem, and like oh, uh, I must get out and party every night because I, I could die tomorrow. Uh, but I I think for a lot of people that it's it's very important to um, as we as we grapple with aging to make the most of our days and to really make that meaning in our lives yeah yeah i think hedonism
0: you know it can get a bad rap in the sense that like it suggests um uh, recklessness but i think a, a, a desire for i mean you look at the ancient epicureans right this 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 Greek philosophical idea this, that you know life is better basically with more pleasure and less pain and pleasure gets translated as hedonism but it's not uh if you read those writers it's not about it's not about pure pleasure abandon it's about actually about a lot about moderation it's about being attuned to your own what makes you happy uh and what makes you fulfilled um you know that's not necessarily getting drunk and being wild it's Maybe just you know waking up and looking outside and, and having a cup of coffee and be like this is really good, you know this is the kind of life I want um, and just being aware of that you know so that if you if you get a diagnosis tomorrow that you can feel like your life has been well lived um, because someday that will all we will all get that diagnosis um, potentially or we'll just die suddenly and we won't have a chance to even reflect on that and that is the way that will it will happen. some way for all of us um and so being being able to live your life so that you have that sense of peace is so huge um and it's so difficult but it's worth lifting up i think
2: right and i i cannot but think so you know we uh, we grapple with aging in terms of like you know watching our parents get older watching grandparents pass away but uh A recent life experience for you as well as one that happened a few years ago for me of becoming parents also really causes you to start grappling with like getting older and the next generation (laughs) and that, you know, that you're, uh, I mean, gosh, to try and capture parenthood into a couple sentences here, um, that, you know, that they're it's, you're you're raising a whole new generation that they're going to do their own things and their life experiences will be completely different than yours. It's it's such a such a way to grapple with aging as well. Has that been your experience so far in the couple of months?
0: Uh, it has been. I'm um, I'm talking next week on Mother's Day about parenthood, and that should be. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about this, but you know this idea of of raising a new generation, and I've been reflecting on it, particularly with the sort of the dualities of both having our son come into the world and also having the older generation in in my family, start getting sick, or at least, you know, I lost my uncle uh, a couple years ago, my other uncle, you know, I said in the sermon, just had a big stroke, Um, you know, and thinking about this phrase that I always hear, you raise your kids to replace you, Uh, but in some ways, what they actually replace are your parents, right, Uh, you know, if they, if they come of age around the same time of my parents passing away, if my parents do live to 90, that'll be about my son will be graduating from high school, and so the place that he takes in my life will be that of my parents, um, this sort of swap of, of important people. Um, and there'll be a time where they coexist, but, but this notion of this new life coming in while this old life uh, is passing away is real. Um, and it's, it's a very striking dichotomy. And I think that's part of what's powerful about those of us who are fortunate to have that overlap um, of grandparents and children be able to see the generations together who will not live together for most of their life right um and uh but they will still hopefully have a relationship that carries them into the future um but definitely i mean you you enter into a into a pantheon of generations by having children and you see yourself in that and you see yourself being grandparents grandparent someday or being an old parent and and uh seeing yourself and your parents in a new way it's it's quite striking and powerful i think uh, and I, we're just at the beginning, so we're we're still learning all of it.
2: Well, folks, make sure to stay tuned next week then for a discussion on parenting. Um, I'll save my parenting-related questions till then. <laughs> um, Skylar, thanks so much for for sitting down and having this this uh, reflection on so many different topics, but all related to this grief and mortality. Um, and thanks for just such a meaningful message. Thanks, Amber. I really appreciate it. Uh, Looking forward to next week.